Welcome to our podcast, Barriers to Bridges. I'm Melissa Baco. I'm currently an assistant principal at Santiago High School. And I'm Dana Barron. I'm a teacher on special assignment in science and STEM, and we both work in the lovely Corona Norco Unified School District. Barriers to Bridges is on a mission to share stories of leaders in education who break down barriers and build bridges of opportunity, not only for themselves, but for others around them. Welcome, hey, howdy, hey. Dana Barron here, co-host of Barriers to Bridges, and today I'm interviewing my sparkly co-host, Melissa Baco. This episode we like to call Find Your Voice. It seemed to be the theme throughout the entire uh, interview, although we didn't certainly expect it to go that way. It seemed to be the thing that we kept talking about all throughout the episode. And in this episode, we learn how Melissa Baco came to be a leader in public education and social emotional learning in our district. We hear how she grew up in Michigan, was recruited to come teach out in California, how her love for coaching brought her to the field of education and a surprising opportunity of becoming an athletic director in a new high school. And then we actually go through the story of the very personal story of Melissa experiencing the death of her dad and how that changed her life and all the changes she went through being a new assistant principal and moving to a new school and finding her voice and passion in social emotional learning with students and staff on our campus. Lastly, before we get started, uh, you will find out in this episode, it gets pretty emotional at one point and vulnerable that her father suffered from ALS, which is amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a progressive neurodegenerative disease that affects nerve cells in your brain and your spinal cord, and there still is no cure. So in the name of this episode, we welcome you to donate to als.org backslash donate. We will also have a details posted on our website, barriers to bridges pod.simplecast.com. We hope you enjoy. We get to dive into what you're all about today. So I know you're not a native Californian. Can yeah. we start there? Yeah, so I was um, born and raised in Garden City, Michigan, which is just outside Detroit. Um, you know, it was the place I thought I was going to. We have a funny story about Garden City, Michigan. We say it sucks you in. It's like you you are born there. I literally was born in Garden City at the hospital in Garden City. So it, it sucks you in. You never leave. You may leave, but you come back. I was born, you know, it, it was a great little town, a small community. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew everybody. Uh, absolutely loved it so we we do share a little bit in common there because my dad is from i mean he says detroit i think a lot of people say detroit but they're yeah. really from like a suburb of yeah but now uh but then he met my mom and moved out this direction yeah. obviously and then um he when he retired he decided to move back so yeah. my dad it's Oops. a boomerang. <laughs> That's what it oh is. God, I swear, it's a boomerang. You, yeah. you, you might leave, but at it's some point boomerang. in your life, you're going back. Um, and that was actually true for, like, people actually said, I left right after I graduated college. Um, I got a job out here, and that was in uh, 2003. I came out here, and I actually went back. I moved back in 2005 to Michigan. And people are like, see, she's back. I told you she'd come back. But then two years later, 2007, I came back out here and I've been in, in California since. I missed I missed the relationships I built here and I, just, I missed California, even though, you know, people back in Michigan don't understand why I'd want to live in California with it being so busy, you know, upbeat, especially, you know, the area we live in where 
Well, I just talked to my dad literally two days ago. He flips houses in retirement for fun. And uh, it was, uh, he said it was seven degrees, yes. I believe. Yes. And he was working in that. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said they bring like space heaters. Yep. And they plug them in yeah. and they just like literally <laughs> put them right on him pretty much and that's how he works and he has to actually take breaks and make sure all his like limbs are warmed the, up the finger yeah the finger test like, this to make crazy. sure you're not getting frostbite yeah yeah that's one thing i do not miss i'll <laughs> tell you that like talking because i you know my mom still lives back there and uh, my sisters and it's uh Oh, it's so, supposed to get up to 18 today. We're really excited. And I was like, sorry, it's going to be like 70 today. And I'm in shorts. So definitely do not miss the cold. Do not miss shoveling. Uh, do not miss slipping on ice and falling on my tush because that really hurts. Don't don't miss that that at all. Yeah, no kidding. So after, okay, so when you moved back, moved back again, where were you at? Like, were you already graduated from college? Yeah, like so where? when I, I graduated college and I moved out here and I got a job actually at La Sierra High School. I was at a job fair in Michigan and uh, walked down the out-of-state aisle and the principal of the school at that time, uh, you know, was waving at me down the aisle and telling me to, you know, come get over here, get over here. I see you looking at our poster board. And I was like, I don't. Have so you were an out-of-state recruit, too. I was an out-of-state recruit, yeah. So, so it, CNUSD did that, too, because yeah. we have quite a few teachers yes. in our district. Yes. And, and beyond well, that, during that came that from time, Michigan, During Illinois, that time, like, it was a yeah. huge push. Like, So when I got hired out here in 2003, I actually got hired two girls from Kansas at the same time got hired, and we all... Uh, started working at La Sierra High School, but we all got hired from out of state and, and moved. And I remember talking to the principal. He was like, listen, it's only a 10-month commitment. You can move back if you don't like it. You can do anything for 10 months. And I'm thinking, that's that's true. It's only one year. If I don't like it, I, I can go back home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was here for two years. And you know, my dad got in a motorcycle accident, and that kind of got me to go back in 2007. I I don't think I would have went back if that didn't happen, but my dad is my life. You know, he it was pretty bad and had to go home and help him and help the fam. Mm -hmm. So I moved back, and, you know, during his recovery, things were, he was moving in the right direction, and, um, you know, when he made a full recovery, it was, I called my friends from out here and I was like, uh, I'm ready to come back out. I, I need my son. I got to get out of here. So it was only a short stint back and got, was very fortunate to get a job again out here. So in Fontana. So I, I moved, packed up again and made the 3,000 mile trek across the country uh, again. And Okay, so tell us a little bit about how you came to be in the field of education. Did you always want to be in the field of education? No, actually. So all through um, high school, I had a goal to, to be a registered nurse. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a nurse. I wanted to help people. And that was kind of, that was the end game for me. Um, I knew I wanted to teach at some point in my life, but I thought it was going to be around medicine, nursing, you know, get established in my career um, being a nurse, and then maybe go back and teach some college courses, teach, you know, up-and-coming nurses skills and stuff. So I accepted into a, like, one of the best nursing programs in the state of, state of Michigan. I got accepted right out of high school. So my freshman year, I could start in the nursing program. And so that, that was kind of the path I went. I, I went and part of getting in the nursing program, they had a partnership with a local hospital. So I was able to start working at the hospital. And at that time, a dear friend of mine who was also my coach when I was in high school for basketball and softball and my summer softball coach, he was still coaching at the high school and he needed an assistant coach and, you know, I would help every once in a while. And he said, well, why don't you come on board and, and coach with me? 
And I was like, all right, well, I got to, you know, make school work and coaching. I have to kind of marry all, all three work. of them. They, yeah. yeah, I got to figure out a schedule. I got to make them all work. Mm -hmm. So, you know, working at the hospital, it's, you know, you have a set schedule, but you don't have a set schedule because, you know, it could be towards the end of your shift and something happens and now you're staying later. You know, it just kind of depended. And what I was finding was I was missing practices because I was supposed to get off work at three and then I would, you know, go over to the high school for, for practice after, after school. And, you know, I found myself a couple times a week calling, hey, I'm going to be late or, hey, I'm not going to make it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the head coach who I worked for and even the girls on the team, they were very understanding and they knew from the beginning that mm -hmm. I had a job and, you know, sometimes the job. But it was it was really pulling on my heartstrings. And it was like my passion was seeing the girls and helping the girls not only you know, on the field, but life, you know, I, I became a mentor to them, somebody that they trusted and, um, you know, wanted to build relationship with. And it was, you enjoyed it. I loved it. Like yeah. I was sad, like, okay, if I can do this really quick, I can get to practice the last 10 minutes. It might've only been 10 minutes, but it's something. Mm -hmm. And I, I was, I really struggled. That would, that was my sophomore year of college. Um, I really people struggled. Don't, unless you're a coach, people really don't understand how much time yeah. it takes. Yes. Like to to really integrate into your life if you already have stuff going on. It's yes, it's a lot of time commitment. It is a lot of time, but I. That's where I wanted my time to be. I didn't want my time to be at work and at the hospital, and I kind of knew. You know, if I continued my education with nursing, that was that piece of me was going to have to be left behind. I wasn't going to be able to coach and, you know, pursue my my career. So I I did a lot of soul searching at that time, and I knew that I needed to make a change because I knew where my heart was. My heart was with kids, mm -hmm. and really, it was more than just teaching them you know, the game of softball and the fundamental skills they needed to be successful on the field. But it was teaching fundamental skills for them to be successful as young women and young adults and, you know, future moms, future bosses, whatever, you know, their life goal was. And I, I made a, you know, two years into college, I made that change. And I, I remember, you know, it was like the clouds parted, the sun came out, and it was like a decision that, I don't regret to this moment that, you know, I changed my mind and changed my career paths. And fortunately, I, you know, got to continue coaching for the next uh, several years uh, under the same head coach, you know, as his assistant and really get to impact the lives of, of kids. And fortunately, I got a job at that school once I graduated from, um, mm -hmm. from, college being a substitute so I would sub and you know then I would I picked up with basketball too so I would coach basketball softball I, was I think resident the best, sub the best coaches I well I honestly think I shouldn't say the best coaches I think if you're a good coach you realize that sports is so much more than yeah. The actual sport you are playing. Oh, I agree one hundred percent. So much more to it about yes. working as a team, yep. about having goals that are bigger than just yourself, about like you said, life skills yes. and feeling confident and there's just That's so like much the best part about being a coach uh, is I like it because you have this group of people that are kind of forced upon you because you pick them <laughs> and they're on your team. But the the relationships. I mean, I I have I have girls that I still talk to this day that were on my first team that I coached, and mm -hmm. you know I would, you know, when I was living back in Michigan during the summer, I would get a, a job um, babysitting, and I basically ran a daycare out of my house, and I hired girls from my team that I trusted to come and help me run my daycare in the summer to give them a little extra cash because we built that relationship mm -hmm. and. You know, you still get to see that. Thankfully, with social media, we might be, I mean, I have 
I have some of my girls that live in an, another country, mm-hmm. um, but I get to connect to them. And it's just, it, it's coaching is more than the sport itself. Mm-hmm. It is though, you're going to battle with these kids day in and day mm-hmm. out and they trust you and you trust them and it's a mutual respect. And um, I'm still doing the same thing. My yeah. hairdresser is one of my former cheerleaders. <laughs> um, one of my former students babysits my kids. Yeah. So it's, it's that, you know, really coaching and led me, you know, to educate the field of education. So you changed your major to what? Well, I was social, so you were, I, I was in to get a bachelor's of science and then go through the nursing program mm-hmm. and get, become a registered nurse. And I, uh, I actually, it was weird because you think I would have stuck with science and just been a science teacher, but no, I had a, I had a professor that I actually took a couple of our history classes, you know, for my undergrad that you had to, the, the mandatory classes you have to take right. for your gen, your gen ed studies. And, um, I found myself taking this guy's these this guy class as my elective courses. I just really liked him, mm-hmm. and it was by the time I went to change, it was like, you know, you've taken half the social science history classes for a major. If you're going to change, that's probably the easier one to to change into instead of going into science because my science wasn't going to get super heavy until my junior year with the nursing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have too many science classes yet, right. but I had you know tons of history classes under my belt because of this one professor that I really liked. He was just, he was a great storyteller and yeah. it wasn't like he was teaching me history. He was uh, having me live in history mm-hmm. um, through the way he uh, story. I think this, story this is going to be a theme throughout all our interviews. Yeah. That good leaders have good teachers yes in their lives. Yeah. So or this, mentors. Yeah. So I, I, I remember walking over mm-hmm. And see, you know, I, I probably took one of his classes every semester, including s- summer. So by that time, I had him six times already. And I remember going and saying, I'm going to be a history major. And he's like, great, welcome. <laughs> and he ended up being my master thesis supervisor, too, which was super cool. But cool. yeah, so really coaching launched me into my career in in education. And like I said earlier, it's not... A decision I regret at all because it's led me to so many great opportunities in in education and really where I where I am now you know taught me skills I needed to be a better leader for a school for a district all right so you know just as all teachers you're looking at moving over on the pay scale <laughs> and so I had to get I knew administration you wanted those dollars yes I wanted those dollars but <laughs> I knew administration was going to be somewhere down the path for me. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I knew I didn't, I didn't want to be a lifelong teacher. I wanted to be an administrator. So in order, you know, looking at, I knew it was time to get a, well, this would have been my second master's degree. I needed to take a few classes um, to move over on that pay scale so I could max out on, on my columns. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm always strategic in what I do, and I didn't just want to take random classes. Like, I'm like, if I'm going to have to go back to school or take some classes, I want it to be meaningful, and I want to be an administrator eventually, so might as well take the classes and, and work towards that. So I actually started my administrative credential um, and master's. I ended up doing both because it was like a difference of taking three more classes to get a master's than just the yeah. credential. So I was like, why not? Let's mm-hmm. <laughs> let's take three more classes. So once I finished, so I did that while I was in Fontana as a teacher. I was a, a special ed teacher at that time, um, taking my administrative credential and then with that you know you have your portfolio that you I don't know if that's what they call it now but I had a portfolio I had to do so I started taking on some teacher leadership positions in camp on campus to kind of grow my portfolio grow my leadership skills and when I finished my master's and got my credential Fontana was actually in the process of opening a new high school and I was coaching at the time also, and thought they, they flew the athletic director position, which in Fontana was a management position. And I was 
still young in my teaching career, but knew that was a step I wanted to take into administration. And I thought, well, worst case, I'll get an interview and I'll know what it's like to get a management interview. I can start mm-hmm. practicing, yeah. um, you know, for future opportunities. Had, you know, and they always say, don't apply for a job you're not willing to take. But I applied for a job that I thought I had no shot in getting. <laughs> so I was literally, I applied and I was like, please just give me an interview. Uh-huh. I know I'm going to be told no. Right. Thanks. I'm going to get the thanks but no thanks call. Yeah. But I just wanted to be able to be in the room and know the level of questioning and what I needed to really gain leadership abilities in what areas, you know, where, where, where my deficits are and what I need to improve upon. And um, I would, I, I like to say it was the easiest interview I've ever did. Like, I felt amazing during that because interview. Because you had the no pressure of, I I'm had not going to no get this pressure. job. I'm just I had, Exactly. <laughs> I had no expectations, no pressure. I literally walked in there. I was like, Joe Cool, like, how's it going? Like, the weight of the world was not on my shoulders. Nerves do get us sometimes. They so do. You, had, you were just. Like, I had no expectations no because yeah. I was just fired up that I got an interview. I'm yeah. like, this is awesome. I remember after my interview, I sat down and wrote all the questions down really quick. And I'm like, this was great practice. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and everybody, how did it go? Oh, it was awesome. I think I did really well, but there's no way in heck they're going to give me the job, you know, <laughs> opening a brand new high school. So. Fast forward about a week and a half, and I get a call, and I'm like, well, you know, you, when you, you're expecting a call, and it was the principal of the school congratulating me because he selected me to be the athletic director of the new school. And I remember, I was so excited, but I remember hanging up the phone like, oh my God, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> I was like, I was just supposed to get an interview. So that really started my my admin, uh, my shift to admin, because obviously I said yes. Um, and then I started calling all my mentors. Uh, I called the athletic director at the school I was teaching at, and I was like, holy cow, they just gave me the job. And he's like, welcome, here we go. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't have been able to do it without that man. He was a mentor, on, yeah, he was a saint. I learned so much opening a brand new comprehensive high school. I learned a lot about leadership. I learned about a lot about the ins and outs of what it takes to start a school. Mm-hmm. Um, because for the longest time, it was like six months, there were only three employees of that school, myself, the principal, and his secretary. So although I was focused in on athletics and that was about 90% of what I did leading up to the opening of the school, it was fun because I got to do the 10% of the other side of the house, the instructional piece, the hiring of the teachers mm-hmm. and all that. So I, I learned a lot just going through that process of opening a, a brand new high school. <laughs> I got the job. So I remember you telling me the story. Athletic directors have meetings, right? Don't they? Or yeah, like regional yeah. meetings yeah, or so something we, like that? Yeah, so we had, you know, being in Fontana, there were a couple high schools. So we would have our district meetings for our athletic directors. And then you have your your region, which is our Citrus Belt area, which is Riverside County and um, San Bernard, most of San Bernardino, depending on all our general area. So... We would have those meetings. I don't so know if when they were monthly or whatever. Walk into those. Oh yeah, I was like a sore eye because here I am. I was probably, gosh, how old was I? I was probably like thirty-one. Yeah. No, I think I was thirty. I know. I know. We're old, but I think I was thirty. In just a number. I have many friends that are athletic directors, but they typically are older white males <laughs> yeah. and you know I'm walking into a room if I'm going to the citrus belt I'd say I'm probably way off on my numbers but I'd say about 50 to 60 and I don't there was one other lady who was an athletic director at that time and she actually ended up being in our league but um, 
I, I was, I stuck out, put it that way. I did not fit the mold of what was you in that and room. one other woman? I think, I want to say it was me and maybe one, I, for our area, I believe so. I could be wrong, but I know it was less than one hand that you could count us all on. But there's one that I could, I know of for sure. For me, that that's, I don't know why this is a big aha for me, but there's, let's use Santiago as an example. There's so many strong female athlete leaders in yeah. Santiago athletics. It just, for me, it's just so weird to me how big female sports is now that there's not more, more. women yeah. athletic directors. Well, I, I know when I went to, because I would go to the state conference every year as an athletic director, and even at the state level, now everybody doesn't have to go if you're an athletic director, but I, a majority of the athletic directors go to that. And I remember there was this one, this one lady. We were about the same age, and basically when we got there, I met her, and I was like, okay, we're going to be friends every year, right? <laughs> every year at this conference, <laughs> we're going to meet up and we're going to be friends. And I actually, she was somewhere in Central California, and uh, sure enough, for, for the three years that I went, her and I, we would find each other day one and hang out and go to the, the sessions together. But yeah, they're, they're not, and I don't know what it is. I, I would like, I don't know if it just is, doesn't draw them to apply and they just apply for regular APs, I don't know. But yeah, it is definitely an area that's not represented by females. So at some point you did decide to move over to. Yeah, so um, after a couple of years, you know, I learned, again, I learned so much. Uh, you know, I got to build a comprehensive high school athletic department from the ground up. And I learned so much, but I wanted to impact more than just in the athletic. I knew I wanted to go into the instructional side, the discipline side, really broaden. You wanted to grow. I wanted to grow. Yeah. Like, it was almost like, and I don't, I don't want to, it was like my job was too easy for me. I wasn't challenged. After the school got up and running, you know, it wasn't challenging to me. To, it was just a job, and I wasn't, although I loved it, I mean, I love going to the games, I love making the connections with the kids and the parents and stuff, because it's fun to make that connection at a sporting event as mm -hmm. opposed to something else. I, I was kind of, meh. It wasn't filling your bucket. It wasn't filling my bucket. Yeah. It, I, I, I needed more. And so I started applying, you know, I was, I was very upfront with my principal at the time, and I just started applying to some districts around uh, to be an AP and it was kind of one of those things I applied I had a great job so if I didn't get it I wasn't going to be sad and my time would come mm -hmm. but I was ready to grow as a leader and really um, impact at a, a broader greater level um, and I you know applied into Corona Norco and fortunately I would you know I got hired in over at Corona High to, to start over there Former Panther. Former Panther. And that, that kind of, that launched, you know, me being, uh, we like to call them regular APs, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what the standard definition is, but a, a, an athletic director to where uh, an assistant principal now that I could start focusing in on, you know, the, the social, emotional, the instructional, all those pieces. Mm -hmm. But the, the glorious thing about being at a high school, you still have sports there. So it's not like I that piece of me was was taken. I could still do the sports and stuff. But yeah, so I, I moved over to Corona High as an assistant principal and kind of, you know, was drinking from a fire hose. It was very different. I thought three years of being an athletic director that, you know, I had this administration thing down, especially because mm -hmm. I was kind of feeling bored at, at my job. Mm -hmm. uh, but I learned, I like to say I found myself over the course of a couple years as an assistant principal because when I came into Corona, you know, I, I, there was a lot of things I needed, I needed to learn. 
being an AP. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were a lot of things that were set in so- stone, processes that, um, policies, procedures that were set in stone in I was kind of the new girl in town and I didn't really disrupt, ask questions. I kind of just did what I was told and did my job and kind of laid low and kind of lost my voice a little bit. As That's what they tell most advice I've received is when you're when you're new, you need to sit yeah. and learn and listen and, and take in the culture and and. I don't know if it's not be disruptive. Um, Even all the new jobs I've had, I really try to just learn first before you, it's almost like you can't just jump to conclusions. Exactly. It's like that sit and learn. Yeah. Talk to people, find out what's going on. But I, I could say a little bit, I had some strong, there were some strong personalities that were assistant principals at that time in for better Probably or worse, it, it, they were more experienced, yeah. and it was kind of one of those things. They're a lot older than what I was, and kind of just know your place, too. Kind of just follow, don't ruffle the feathers, and it'll get you through. Now, I learned so much from them because they were so knowledgeable, and and it, it did it for a long time, but it was, I was almost tim- intimidated by them to being a newer, younger assistant principal to speak my voice. So I really just focused in on the things I could impact, the relationships I could I could build while I was there. One of my positions that I had was coaching new teachers and teacher induction. We used to call it BITSA. It's not called yeah. BITSA anymore. And one of the things I noticed is that new teachers often feel the same way that you just said. Yes. They come into an experienced department, an experienced grade level team or whatever, and they don't feel like they have a voice. And there's a lot of research around teachers leaving the profession within five years. It is well known all across the United States, probably all over the world. And one of the things that I discovered was that people need to feel like they're contributing. And that's with their voice. They need to feel like they have a voice and it doesn't mean always that they're that they're necessarily want to change something. It's just yeah. that they, they have a seat yeah. at the table. So that was the number one thing when I, you know, as the experienced teacher yeah. coaching these new teachers is I always wanted them to know that or feel, yeah. really feel that they had a voice. Yep. They they their opinions matter. They have good ideas. Yes. And a lot of times new people bring a refreshing new outlook on things and so that was like it's just funny because you had that experience as an administrator but I think that experience is universal for new people but I think a lot of it goes to who's the leader too like think about teachers your your department leaders or Mm -hmm. your teacher leaders what kind of atmosphere what kind of culture are they creating within the department too Mm -hmm. that new people coming in feel welcome feel valued feel like they could have their voice so I think that that teacher leader or you know being you could go to AP leader you know what kind of are you creating a culture where new people who are coming into your culture feel welcomed right feel safe feel that they can share their new ideas so I think a lot of it is a culture piece, too. Yeah, I agree. So so this leads us into, you had a very pinnacle point at this point in your life. That you... Yeah, so I was a couple years at Corona and, you know, just doing my job. I guess doing status quo, because that's really what I felt like I was doing at Corona. Just doing what I needed to do, which was my job. Um, well, my dad got sick. And, uh, sorry, vulnerable piece here. Yeah. Um, it's okay. I struggled to find myself to seeing him. So he died of ALS. Um, and if you don't know what that is, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. You are sound mind all the way until your death. So it doesn't go after, it goes after your, your, 
your body part, your motions, your 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 body stops working. Your body, but your, mind your mind does not does not, and you know what's happening. Yes. And yeah, and you can still communicate. Yes. So to see a man who my my father who is larger than life, um, just be crippled by this disease, was awful. So I was, you know, um. Sorry. Flying back often, so he was diagnosed in in May of 2013, and I flew back probably once a month for mm-hmm. his appointments for long weekends or during the week, and uh, he died in December, so it was only like seven months. Yeah, that's but I remember. Very fast. Very fast. And I, I always say it's the power of the mind. Um, I think he would have lived longer. But so he had, he grew up in a family of four girls, four sisters, and he was the only boy. Then he had four daughters. <laughs> At this time, he had four grand boys, and my sister was pregnant. And uh, I think he was holding on thinking that was his girl. And then she found out she was having a boy. I always say the power of the mind is crazy. Because I swear to God, he was like, okay, well, I'm not going to hold on and fight fight anymore. I think he was really holding on like, I'm going to see. There's lots of true stories. Actually, we used to look these up in my anatomy yeah. class. There's lots of true stories, lots and lots of evidence and data. Power of the of mind. people losing their spouse and then... The other person dying quickly after. Yep. um, People holding on for a wedding or some major event. So we're mm -hmm. convinced if it would have been a girl, he would at least live two more months, we think. Power of the mind is crazy. It was Mm -hmm. because it was like my sister got the ultrasound, found out it was a boy. I kid you not, the next day he just went downhill. But I remember being at his funeral in... You know, my dad was, um, like I said, larger than life man. Everybody knew him. He was, he was amazing, but he he did so many things in his life. So he was like the president of the, the youth association for all sports for our city growing up. And then he coached in high school. He coached our summer, our summer travel team. So we met a lot of people. And he was always, you know, life of the party, give you the shirt off your back, type of guy. Then he got into when, you know, he fulfilled his his dad, his parenthood of what, and we were all out of the house. He he found, you know, a group of guys that liked to ride motorcycles, and he became active in motorcycle clubs, and, and that was kind of his, we call it his second life after all of us kids left the house and had jobs, yeah. and it was kind of his second life. Um, but I remember being at his funeral and looking out over the room, and there were people from every single walk of life that he did. We had people from our youth organization that he didn't talk to for like 20, 25 years mm-hmm. show up. You know, our summer softball people show up who we haven't talked to in 10 or 15 years because he was such a great man. Well, he made an impact. Those relationships. On yeah that he built and he wasn't a quiet man he was very outspoken he knew what he wanted and he made sure he got what he wanted and if he didn't get it he was going to go down fighting for it but the the uh, along the way no matter what it was the importance he put on relationships mm-hmm. making you feel like you are the most important thing happening at this moment even when he had four million things going on that he needed to do. Um, And that was a big piece of his that he started to do after, I like to say he gave back to his kids, us, you know, made sure we had a great life. But once we were all gone, he still played an active role in the community through his motorcycle club to, Mm -hmm. to give back to the community. They went to the school and built things. They were always doing things to, to give back. And that was kind of one thing he always wanted to have an impact on other people and make them feel so important and do know that they could come to him and whether he had the answer or not he would find it and he would help them 
So really, I remember looking out and thinking, oh my gosh, this is, this is what I want to do. When I'm, when I'm gone, when my time comes, I want people to come back and say, I knew I could go to her, that she cared about me and that she was willing to help me no matter what. And that really shifted who I was as an administrator mm -hmm. and really shifted my focus to that social emotional side also. Left that room full of people or at his service or his legacy. 100%. Yeah. And it was amazing. It was, it was, you know, you're always looking for a reason of why, especially when somebody passes, and that was his why. Mm -hmm. Like, So after that, you did some self-reflection. 100%. On what you were doing, where you were at in life, and how you wanted to move forward. Yeah, I knew I, I knew I couldn't be quiet anymore. <laughs> and I, most people say, I don't think you were ever quiet, Bako. It's <laughs> kind of hard for me to imagine. I'm not trying to wrap my head around that. No. Because I've never been quiet. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, and I never had. But when I moved into that role, I felt like I was, you know, I, my place was to just be a workhorse. And that moment... I knew I wasn't being true to myself and who I really was because when I was an athletic director, I was very outspoken and this is what I wanted to do. I mean, I was building stuff from the ground up and and I think a lot of it, again, it, it goes like back. like you had a voice. But we talk about, exactly, mm -hmm. that's what I was going to say. We go back to, I had an, uh, a principal who was like, that sounds great. What's your plan to get there? Let's do it. Mm -hmm. You know, and gave me like trusted that I was going to make good choices. When I went into, you know, I learned a lot at Corona as being an assistant principal, but I didn't feel like I could have a voice, that I could start programs or change things. It was kind of, I needed to do my job, and that was kind of it. And at that moment, I had to go back to who I really was and not feel intimidated by people who are more established or have been doing the job longer that I needed to speak up. If I felt something wasn't appropriate, I needed to speak up. If I felt I there was a better way to do it, I needed to speak up. Doesn't mean it was the right way to do it, but at least put all cards on the table. So I always, because I, I our theme is leadership. Yes. And I always like to reflect on this, on how much is our self because the first step to being a leader is leading yourself. And so I always like to think about it when I reflect on it, it's like how much is really things that are out of our control, a culture someone else sets up for us, 100%. a leader that is a, what we feel is above us or not, yes. but not beside us or whatever. Yes. But then how much of it is actually ourself thinking that we have limits? Yes when we really don't. Agreed. I think we, and, and I, would, I would venture to say we as women, I think we build a lot of our own barriers for our own growth. In for, our minds. For whatever reason. In yeah, minds. in our minds. Um, you know. Men just, do too. Men do too, yes. But or you could go on a whole list of if you're, you know, not a heterosexual, if you're a person of color, 100%. if you're all the different intersectionality, you there are these barriers we build. Ourselves. Ourselves. There's definitely tons of barriers that we don't build ourselves. 100%. But there are also barriers that we build in our own minds. Own mind, 100%. Yeah. And I, that was my aha moment was recognizing that I built these own barriers for my own growth. And your I, own voice. I couldn't grow as an administrator because of barriers, you know, that existed that I didn't build. But to get 
through those barriers, I had to break down my own barriers that I built myself Mm -hmm. so I could push through to ones that were not controlled by me. Mm -hmm. So that really, I started to find myself, I started to put myself out there, um, started to question. I was no longer going to be status quo. I wasn't going to just follow what has been done. It's funny that you say you started a question because something for me personally is, and I always say this is the science mind. So in science, one of the skill sets that all good scientists need, all good innovators, is to ask a lot of questions. Because you're not going to be innovative, you're not going to create, you're not going to make change unless someone starts with a question. And so I... Me personally, I ask a lot of questions. Yeah. I think in questions. I'm sort of a weirdo. Like, wherever we go, when I look at the sky, I think in questions. Yes. Like I, and what has become increasingly apparent to me is when you ask questions, some people look at it as, whoa, like, why are you questioning me? Yeah. But then I look at it as they're engaged. Yes. They're thinking, like, when kids in your class are asking questions, that means they're listening. Yes. I, <laughs> and so, 100%. I, like, if people don't ask questions, I'm the opposite of mine. I'm like, are you even listening? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Are you even engaged? Well, my big thing with asking, I want to, I, I need to know the why. So I, everyone I, does. I ask Everyone questions, does. and it could be a turnoff to some, but I I just ask. I yeah. ask. I keep asking. Even when we might have found the answer or solution, I'll still keep asking because to me, too, constantly asking questions, you're only making things better by asking questions because sometimes your question prompts questions from others, yeah. too, and can get you thinking and moving in a different direction. Hopefully will be for the betterment of others. Mm-hmm. But yes, I I ask a lot of questions. It I think some people can see it as being annoying or <laughs> or chal- that you're challenging, you know, their thoughts, their beliefs. But really I just need to know why like <laughs> to better Honestly, understand though, really good leaders when you ask questions, they either you can tell they they answer with grace or with the you know with yeah. the why or whatever and if they don't know they say wow i've never thought about exactly it like that before let's either talk about this or let me get back to you or yes you know like instead of that's, that's my part favorite of, that's when that happens of, that's part of the value though that's part of the value in relationships is making yes. the person feel okay we're gonna have to don't just slough it off. Like, that was yes. a terrible question. No, like... No, I agree. <laughs> yes. I love when I ask so many questions, somebody's like, um, I'm going to need to find that out. Or thanks for bringing me up, bringing that up. I haven't thought about that. Mm-hmm. And really, asking questions, I've built more relationships asking questions <laughs> because mm-hmm. now you have that dialogue going and you're working on something together. So after that, like, I started to find my voice again and a year after my dad's um, death I was moved over to to Santiago and I was not I full disclosure was not happy to move to Santiago when when it happened but you know it was like we're kind of we like to say at will employees kind of they call you up and tell you you're moving you you tell them it's the best opportunity of your life you had to um, switch your whole wardrobe from red. I had to, to move from teal. red to t- teal, but you know what? I'm on point now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's okay. But I, it that that was a tough transition for me. But really, I knew as a leader, the way I present myself is how it's how it's going to go down. I could come into this building very upset that I was being moved. Uh, or I can look at it as an opportunity. Correct. And 
Now, don't get me wrong. I was Dad really is leading yourself. <laughs> I was really yourself. bitter for about a week. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's not gonna. But the day I walked into Santiago for the first time, I made the choice that this is going to be an amazing opportunity, and I am going to grow as a leader, and that I am going to put my mark, leave my legacy somehow. And that's kind of. I mean, at the end of the day, you're still working with kids 100 percent I, I always say me being moved to Santiago is the blessing that I didn't know I was going to get and hmm. it, it's hard to think would I be the leader I am today if I stayed at Corona I you don't you don't know that answer mm -hmm. but I can tell you in the course of my almost five years that I have been at Santiago me as a person me as a mom, I mean, I had my daughter and the the day I came back from maternity was the day I found out. So let me tell you, talking about people's emotions and hormones, a new mom, you're going to call. My first day back from maternity was the day I got the call. I was moving to Santiago. And I was like, listen, my emotions are already out of whack because I had to leave my child to go to work. Now yeah. you're moving me. I'll tell you what. Mom it, guilt is real. Oh, mom guilt is real. Every day I live mom guilt. Uh, but moving to Santiago has made me a better leader. I really have found myself, and I'm very fortunate to worked for a leader who believed in me and trusted me mm -hmm. and let me run with my crazy ideas mm -hmm. and a team of people who supported my crazy ideas and thought that they were the best thing ever and rallied behind me. So really, I really found myself here of who I, who I am as a leader and who I want to be down the road as a principal, as whatever the path takes me. As a superintendent, as president of the United States You of know, America. if that's my path, <laughs> if that is my path, then, you know. But yes, I I have found who I am. You know, I went through the doctoral program too, and that really helped shape me also and made me confident in myself as a leader and really forced me to look at the barriers I build for myself mm -hmm. and, and break them down and move forward and at the same time bring others alongside me and coach them and help them because I'm only as good as the others around me. Yep. So. So this leads us to right where you are now. And, and part of the way we've really developed a relationship is through social emotional learning. Yes. Whole, looking, at a, looking at a child as a whole child instead of just the grades that they get. And bringing together a team really a whole campus yes. around that theory and then giving kids support, building supports really yes. from scratch for the kids that aren't, you know, that potentially could fall through the cracks. Yes. So can you lead us to that? Well, when I remember when I got here, it was, hey, we have to do this PBIS thing. And... I'm always up for a challenge, love doing new things, and I'm mm -hmm. like, I gotcha. Mm -hmm. um, I'll be the PBIS lead. I'll, I'll kind of... So, acronym? Positive Behavioral Supports and Interventions, or Interventions and Supports, yeah, PBIS, yeah. which now has morphed to MTSS, Multi-Tiered System of Supports. So it's kind of a big umbrella now. But what I was tasked with is to develop a team build those foundational level supports for all kids. The tier one is what we'd like to call it. And I remember uh, sitting in our first meeting. So every kid on campus has access to these supports. To these supports, so one. all yeah. kids. Uh, and our team, I remember sitting in our first meeting with our consultant. We had a, a small team, the mighty team of like five or six of us. Mm -hmm. um, kind of some were like, I don't know if I want to do this, be a some part of this. Some of them were teachers. Some... It, they were all teachers. Okay. So it was all teachers and it was myself. And I actually brought in our ASB director, was 
helped me lead the charge at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of first just fishing out what they know, what they've learned, because there was some training prior to me getting here. I think a couple of those laugh. Like, they're kind of like, I don't want to be part of it. I don't have time to do this. one more thing. Yeah. So it was, you know, we knew in order for it to be successful, we needed to build a team. I wasn't going to be able to move a campus climate or culture by myself, especially being new to the school, not knowing. I, I had a lot of learning. We talked about it. When you first get somewhere, I had a lot of learning to yeah. do about the, the climate and culture of the school um, myself. So I needed more people to help me on my road of discovery uh, in building this. So we were very intentional on building our team, making sure every department had representation and had a voice as we were building these supports for all students across campus. Um, you know, it's never done. We we are in... Well, and let's be real because things change. Now we're in a pandemic. Yeah, Whereas we're in a... Supports yes. you built before what, what oh, we work were, now. Yeah, we, I remember this summer to trying to shift from yeah. in-person to remote virtual, what it would look like for our, our supports. and pandemic it's not perfect we have something it's not perfect we're constantly changing and tweaking it but I would say now I have a team of 20 to 25 teachers counselors support staff custodian security that I could not do the job without this team these people are absolutely amazing (laughs) and they have built they have put in the time they've put in the hours and they have built our our tier one our supports for all students beyond what my imagination and my wildest dreams when i was sitting in the principal's office and we were talking about doing pbis mm-hmm. uh, of what it, and it has morphed it keeps morphing it keeps growing and it's exciting when you are walking, well, not now because of the pandemic, you're not walking down the halls and hearing kids, but when we would walk down the halls or out in the lunch quad and you would hear a kid, that's not shark-like behavior. (laughs) And, like, part of me would chuckle. Like, you just did. I would, like, laugh. Like, they're they're getting it because that's our whole thing, Um, be a shark. So our our core values are, are, are... qualities that we want kids to leave us with and when a you know a kid takes somebody's sandwich or something off their tray and you hear them that's not shark-like behavior it just kind of like oh it's working it's it's just it's super exciting but again it it's that trust it's that relationships that I've had to build with my team members to get them to trust me to go on which was uncharted, unknown path at the time, um, to see what it has become is absolutely amazing. And I, it's Can only you growing. you give us an example of one of those tier one supports for all students? Just so people can wrap their head well, around a big tangible piece is, thing. So we, you know. Instead of it kind of all being like general. Well, leaving out of Santiago, we want all kids to know our core values. So we want them to um, show responsibility. We want them to have integrity. We want them to achieve. We want them to be respectful. And the, the biggest one, my favorite one, is that that knowing the, the K of the shark, the know yourself. Um, really who they are as a person, their goals, and what they they can do so but how does that tangibly get to the students and how do they learn so what what we a big piece that doesn't just happen a big piece of the support is the teaching so we have to teach these kids what it means like i can say that's not being very respectful well, Some kids don't know what respect if you don't, is. Exactly. Never, it's never been modeled for them. And or, respect or, could look different. So yeah. what does respect look like for our sharks? So a big piece of what our team has done is the teaching of our core values. Um, so we do Shark Week twice a year. Um, but throughout that, we're constantly doing. i some of those videos. Yeah, so really Shark good. Week, we, we, teach, <laughs> yeah. Um, we teach our core values, our, our shark values. 
and we do it through our student leaders, we do it through our teachers, we do it through our admin. Uh, we throw in some fun activities for the classes to build some community building. Um, so they really know they're not a school of one, but they're a school of sharks. Uh, Is that and still happening this year? We, the yes, pandemic? we actually did a... I'm curious how you pivoted so for what was exciting is moving learning. into Google classroom in the remote world we actually our be a shark team uh, built a Google classroom a digital platform for the teaching we had a whole nother group of ninth graders come into us that didn't know our core values they haven't even physically been in this they never yeah and they don't know what it means to be a shark so we built a digital platform through google classroom to teach our expectations and at the same time we knew we had to tie in digital citizenship also um, especially since we were going to be online for everything so we pushed that out a week before school so we kind of did shark week usually do shark week the first week of school and then the first week of second semester we actually did it the week before school started, pushed it out. Kids could do the lessons, take a quiz, and if they got the quiz, they got submitted into the drawing. So we kind of gave them something. An incentive. An incentive for doing it. And, um, you know, we had a great, we had a huge chunk of our kids. We had about 60% of our kids complete all four, there was four lessons. They completed all four lessons. You know, and then we have our teachers uh, two, three years ago, we did common syllabus language for Be a Shark. Mm -hmm. So, and we did a 90% of our syllabi that were distributed to kids had our core values and what it looks like in that particular teacher's classroom. So what does it mean to show responsibility in yeah. um, that teacher's classroom? I like so, that piece because so for exciting. me, that's also giving teachers a voice because I yes. think some teachers what they like well, at least me I did I do because I'm gonna be even if I go in administration I'm always an educator yes and one of the things I really love about having my own class is that I get to make it me yes I get to jive I get to be in my mojo and my flow whatever yep. you want to call it and so I like that teachers could take the core values yes and then and deliver them basically yeah. the way that they would. So what we did with them is we, we gave them and we would put like two or three bullets for each one and they could use those mm -hmm. and add to them mm -hmm. They if it didn't fit their classroom. But I think most of them, if I remember correctly, when we went through it, they kept what we as a, we call it the Be A Shark team, what we came up with mm -hmm. which which wasn't us just sitting in a room coming up with it there was a lot of okay you're in the science department you take these back to the science department see what they say come back to us so there was a lot of collaboration with all staff members there were a lot of rough drafts and revisions tons tons yeah, so we wanted we didn't want to just give a blank slate we we gave it and said feel free to add to it to fit to your classroom but it was really exciting when we did the syllabi search and 90% of our staff actually put them in. So kids were seeing common language across all classes. And then they were here, well, when they were here, we would do a morning announcement too. So we, they would hear it every morning like, today's Monday, we're going to show responsibility today and this is how we're going to do it. So we really built a climate and culture here at Santiago around our Be A Shark values. And it's really exciting to, to see it more from us sitting in a room staring at each other, the four or five of us saying, how the heck are we gonna do this, to having monthly meetings with a team of 25 and uh, saying, we need to do this better. Yeah, so that reflection it's, piece. It's super awesome, it's super. And the buy-in from the staff and the students really embracing that culture has mm -hmm. been awesome. Well, I certainly have learned a lot from you. You're <laughs> my go-to person for all that stuff. So I want to move into rapid fire Q&A. Let's do it. Okay. You're usually the person asking these. So I know. Hopefully I don't mess these up. Okay. Favorite dessert? Cake. Anything of cake substance. Cupcake, cake. With frosting or? Ooh, with frosting. So buttercream or whipped? I could take butter this all cream. the way. Okay. So definitely, I feel like some people are all about the whip. Though. No, buttercream. Like 
my husband and my son, they both prefer whipped. Oh. I'm like, no, that's no. not even worth it. You got to buttercream for butter sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't even have to slap the buttercream on, you just eat it. <laughs> okay, your favorite drink. Non-alcoholic or alcoholic. Or or you could give us one of both. I I'm a wino. Love a good red wine. Uh, I've been really into sparkling waters lately. Oh, okay. Hated them for a long time. They've been my jam for like the last six months. All right. Yeah. Favorite pizza topping? Artichoke. Really? Yeah. That's so random to me. Okay. If you could spend your free time doing anything you wanted, what would it be? Drinking a margarita poolside. <laughs> At the pool. Okay. Uh, a title of a book or a topic you're reading about? Oh, right now it's anything and everything equity. That's, okay. you know, kind of... book you could recommend? Oh, well, the Leading While Female book is a good one. Right now I'm diving into opening doors. Okay. One last question. One piece of advice for leaders in education that you would give? Or that has been given to you. Speak your voice. Don't be unheard. All right. Ask those questions. <laughs> yeah, ask those questions is the theme of our... Well, thank you for that interview. Yay! Yay! If you like that episode, don't forget to give us a five-star rating. We will do a happy dance every time that happens. Find new episodes every two weeks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to interact with our listeners. Engage with us on our website, barriers2bridgespod.simplecast.com, where you can also find our social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or email us at barriers to bridgespod at gmail.com. Have a fabulous day overcoming barriers and building those bridges. This episode was co-produced by Melissa Baco and Dana Barron. My mom, Dana Barron, did all of the editing. Thank you for listening.